Hey guys, you're listening to episode 10 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we're going to be sharing our thoughts on implementing a finish line after you're retired. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the show. My name is Keelan Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Cody. Today, we have another Q&A episode where we try to answer questions from our community of listeners about setting a financial finish line. You know, when we talk about setting a finish line, people often think about a person or family earning a salary. But what about somebody who's already retired? Does a finish line still make sense? We've been asked by many retired people what a finish line might look like for them. The way we see it, Managing income and spending is just as important, if not more important, after you stop working, and that's exactly what we want to talk about today. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you guys that everything we do here on the Finish Line team is 100% free and always will be. If you're getting a lot out of the podcast and want to help us get the message to others, the best thing you can do for us right now is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get started. All right, Cody. So I'm excited to dig into this today. You know, we have both, I think, heard from a number of retired people who are interested in the idea of a finish line and just not sure what that looks like after retirement. And so uh, I'm excited to hear some of your thoughts and, and to share some of my own on how somebody could implement a financial finish line after retirement. Yeah, I think this question is really important to answer because this has come up in sprints and just in talking about the finish line pledge with various people who aren't working anymore. I think the first thing that I hear people say when I tell them about setting a finish line for your spending is, well, I'm retired. I don't have an income. So what is it? What does it mean for me? And I find that reaction really interesting because it's not really true that retired people don't have an income. Their income just looks different. It may not be a salary, but They likely have some combination of income sources throughout retirement that pay for all their expenses. And that might look like Social Security or money coming out of an IRA or another retirement account or maybe passive income from your investments or any real estate that you own, uh, a pension or even an annuity, which is just an insurance product that provides a stream of income throughout retirement. Maybe people are taking on some part-time work, going back to work, doing side gigs, driving for Uber, uh, or maybe you receive an inheritance, some lump sum of money that you were expecting or not expecting. But there's lots of different sources of income that still will or might come in after you retire. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think most of the people making that statement, I don't have an income, are not actually without any income at all in retirement and and completely relying on family, I think most people do have some sort of retirement savings or at least social security, like you mentioned. It may not be income in the sense of a salary or a paycheck, but it is income in the sense that that's what you're paying your bills with, that's what you're buying your food with, and that's what you're responsible for stewarding over the rest of the course of your life. So at least in terms of 
income that we talk about in relation to a finish line, I think it's actually treated very similarly to a salary or paycheck. This question of how does a finish line work for people who are retired is especially interesting to me because I spend a lot of my time at work having discussions with clients about preparing for or navigating retirement and how to manage income streams and investment accounts and all this kind of stuff. Uh, And I actually build a lot of the plans that we are delivering to clients. So I have a lot of thoughts about this kind of stuff, and we're not going to get to all of it today, but there are a couple things that I wanted to highlight. One of the main things that I think is worth mentioning is that budgeting is especially important for retired people because you kind of have to figure out how much you have to spend based on some assumptions of how long you're going to live, how well your investments are going to perform. But at the end of the day, there's a cap to how much you can spend and not run out of money for the rest of your retirement period. And while you're working, you could always just choose to continue working longer and you've got more income coming in. That's not always the case for retired people. So there is kind of that switch that flips and you have to be as careful, if not more careful when budgeting once you're retired. But for you or me, who've already set a finish line and have a budget that we're used to living on, it might not be that much of a transition going into retirement because we could maintain the same lifestyle. We know how much it costs. And if you stick to that, you don't have to make a whole bunch of changes. All you have to do is determine if your income throughout retirement is enough to cover your lifestyle that you've selected. So I wanted to take a second and just talk about how I go about building financial plans on a really high level. And that I think will help us talk a little bit more about how to answer the question of how do you implement a finish line once you're retired. So when I am making financial plans, I take in all the information from a client and put it all into advanced planning software. And I make a number of assumptions, but essentially what I'm trying to tell the client is a range of spending that they can reasonably sustain throughout a retirement period. So for a really easy example, someone might choose to retire at 65 years old, we'll have them living till 95 years old. So that's 30 years that they have to figure out how much they can afford to spend annually. And you have inflation, you have your investments growing, and there's all kinds of factors that you have to take account of. But at the end of the day, when we sit down and talk to a client about that output of the plan, we're saying you can spend between X and Y dollars per year pretty reliably without running out of money. And I think that's a really helpful way to benchmark their spending. However, the question that I do not usually get into with clients is, how much should you be spending? We navigate this question as people in the workforce of, I know what my income is, but that's not necessarily what I should be spending. And that's where the concept of the finish line really comes into play. You're spending less than you make. This same dynamic can be applied in retirement when your potential sources of income or how much you could spend without running out of money or while still meeting all your goals, what if that's a larger amount than the finish line you already set before you retired? How do you navigate that? What do you do? So basically what you're saying is before somebody's retired and they're in the workforce in some manner, the way that a finish line plays out is they're basically making the statement, 
this is the amount that I need to sustain myself and my family every month or every year. And if God blesses me with more income than that, then I don't need to use that excess to continually grow my lifestyle. I can begin to use that for the things that are on God's heart. And it sounds like what you're saying is for somebody in retirement, there are all these different sorts of sources of income, like you mentioned, retirement accounts, social security, pensions, etc. And somebody can ask themselves that same question of how much do I need to live on realistically so that I can be free to use any excess above that amount for greater things beyond myself. Right. And if someone said, this is how much my lifestyle costs, tell me how likely I am to be able to spend that amount for the rest of my life. That's actually a simpler question than what we normally do, which is put all the inputs in and then come up with an output and have maybe a five or $10,000 range of expenses that you could afford year to year. But if you spend right up to the top of that range, you don't have a lot of wiggle room to do any giving at all unless you consider that part of your budget. Right. So in that sense, if the question before retirement is, how much do I make? That's how much I can spend. Then the, the typical question people are asking after retirement is, how much have I saved? And from that, how much can I spend every year or every month? And what you're saying is, that's the wrong question altogether. We should be asking, how much should I be spending? Yeah, I think your standard of living shouldn't depend on where your income is coming from. So whether it's your salary or it's your own savings, that really doesn't come into play when you're considering establishing a finish line. Another thing which I wasn't even really aware of until you told me about it not too long ago is the concept that in retirement, people are often forced to take out a certain amount from their retirement savings every month. Do you think you could elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, this is something that I don't know that I would be aware of if I weren't in this industry, but there's something called required minimum distributions. And actually in 2020, the age where you have to start taking money out of your retirement accounts moved up from 70 and a half to 72 years old. And for a lot of listeners, that might seem irrelevant because it's a long way away. And for some listeners, you might currently be taking your required minimum distributions or RMDs, and you may know exactly what I'm talking about. The concept is when you put money into retirement, frequently you can defer paying taxes on those dollars. So if you save in a 401k or a traditional IRA or other types of retirement vehicles, oftentimes you can get a tax break on those contributions. You can do that for your whole career. But once those retirement accounts are your income sources, the government wants to get the taxes that you deferred. So their way of forcing you to take that money out, even if you don't need it, is required minimum distributions. So once you hit a certain age, there's an algorithm that will tell you how much money you have to take out of your retirement accounts or else you'll have to pay a huge penalty on any amount that you leave there. And something that happens more often than you'd think is people end up with a lot more savings than they ever thought they would have. And once they hit that RMD age of 72, they're actually forced to take out more income 
pushing them into a higher tax bracket than they even need to spend. And that's just very inefficient. And a lot of people look for strategies to avoid that once they get to that age. And I have a feeling that people in that situation often end up approaching that in a similar way to people who end up with a larger income than they expected, which is basically that that money always ends up finding a place somewhere if you haven't thought that through ahead of time. And so as your income continues to grow, even in retirement, your needs and your lifestyle will continue to expand to fill up all of that, whether that's an extra vacation or two per year, whether that's a bigger house or a nicer house or a nicer car. There's always something to fill up that extra space if you don't have a bigger picture plan already in mind. But as you'll see with many aspects of the financial industry is there is kind of a loophole. And in this specific scenario, if you are forced to take money out of those retirement accounts, the government's trying to get you to pay those taxes that you didn't pay way back then. If you give money directly out of those retirement accounts to a charity, then you don't have to pay taxes on those dollars. And the charity doesn't have to pay taxes on those dollars either. And we're going to talk a little bit more later about giving to charity directly out of retirement accounts as a strategy. But before we get there, I do want to address the obvious question of if I'm retired, I set a finish line and I start giving money away out of my retirement income sources. What if I find that I needed more than I expected later on in my life? Yeah, and I think the number one thing that comes to mind in that context is healthcare. Even from a young age where maybe healthcare isn't on your mind that much, you don't have to think about retirement very long before you start wondering how your health might become a large drain on whatever retirement savings or other sources of income you have in retirement. And I've heard multiple people directly bring up that as their number one primary concern as they look towards their entire retirement period. Yeah, there's obviously some changes as soon as you stop working. Oftentimes, you'll get off of your employer's health care plan or your private health care plan. And once you hit 65, you can get on Medicare and you're navigating that. So it's natural to be thinking about health care. And at the same time, a lot of people your age and slightly older than you are starting to experience some kind of health situation or complication that just makes life more expensive. So, yeah, it's absolutely a very, very high concern for people entering or in retirement. So I guess to start off tackling that, I'm kind of curious to hear what your clients go through in respect to this who don't have a finish line in place but do have a set amount that they've saved for retirement. What does it look like as they get older and start to have higher health care costs and how do they approach that process? Yeah, well, to be honest, you can kind of divide people into two groups, and those groups are people who are self-insured and people who could use some insurance. And it's really a matter of how much they spend and how much they have saved and how much guaranteed income they have available to them throughout retirement. So to be self-insured means that you have so much saved up that you could get through some unexpected healthcare situation, even if it's ongoing or for the rest of your life, that additional savings will cover that increase in cost. And 
A lot of people will actually ask us to, to bump up their projected spending throughout retirement purely because of health care. And we know that health care costs inflate at a higher rate than pretty much any other category of spending. So this is something we take really seriously. And we try to build in some pretty conservative estimates when projecting the cost of health care throughout retirement. But the statistics are that if two people live into their 90s, there's a pretty good chance that at least one of them is going to experience some situation with their health that's going to increase the cost of retirement. So for those people who are not self-insured, maybe they have enough to cover their lifestyle, but not a ton of extra if something were to happen. A lot of times we recommend that they look into getting some type of insurance, notably long-term care insurance, which is something that I think a lot of people are looking at in their 50s and 60s when it's still available, still somewhat affordable. And I'm not going to get into all the details of long-term care insurance. I just mention it to say that there are products available that can reduce or mitigate some of those healthcare expenses that are somewhat likely to happen if you live a long time. As somebody not in the financial industry, I'm kind of curious how much balance is there between the increase in healthcare costs as you get older with the decrease in other kinds of costs that people have during their life? You know, so maybe somebody's getting towards paying off their mortgage as they get into their 60s, 70s, and obviously you start to have less expenses on kids. You know, you're not paying for college anymore. Your food budget goes down as your kids are moving out and that sort of thing. How well do those kind of balance out? That's a great question. I think what I've found is in those first couple of years of retirement, a lot of people are actually getting those large expenses out of the way. Frequently, people will buy a new car right after retirement and say, this is going to last as long as it possibly can. And that's enough for me. People frequently travel for the first several years of retirement and then start to cut back on expensive travel as they get older and maybe mobility is a little decreased or they just don't have a lot of tolerance for long plane rides. You're absolutely right that lifestyle spending actually tends to decrease after that point where you've retired. You don't need to buy clothes for work. You've got more time on your hands. So those convenience-based expenses uh, and eating out suddenly aren't quite as appealing because you've got time to cook. You've got time to clean the house. All those things that you might have outsourced before, you're finding you have the time to focus on and even enjoy. So there is definitely a balance. And of course, everyone's situation is super unique. And that's a lot of the reason why I like to establish a range because I've never built a plan and then had a client live perfectly according to every assumption in that plan for years. It's just not how it works. So it requires maintenance on the plan. It requires updates. And anytime something unexpected happens, good or bad, we're making updates, we're talking. So it's it's a process that lasts as long as you're dealing with money, which for most people is their entire life. And I think today we just want to focus on There is a line where you can say, here's how much I can afford to spend throughout retirement. Here's how much I think I ought to spend throughout retirement. Is there margin? And what can I do with that margin? Yeah, and I think that what you're talking about right there with that margin 
is really the whole crux of the conversation when it comes to living out a finish line while retired. Because how you approach that margin, that difference between what you should reasonably be spending on yourself and your living expenses every month, and how much you actually have saved and have the capacity to spend, that excess is where all the question is. So if you're on board with the idea of a finish line at all, and you've been tracking with us through this podcast and through the other things that we've discussed over the last few months, then you know that we always talk about the idea that all of our money, everything that we have and everything that we will ever have always belongs to God. It's not ours. We are managing it on behalf of God. And so that's true of our retirement savings as well and and any other income source we have during retirement. It all belongs to God. So the question is, how much of that should I be spending on myself to support myself and, and my family? And how much do I need to keep in margin as a rim of security to know that I will be able to continue to sustain myself and my family for the duration of my life? I think that is the heart of the question that people are asking here of how do I implement a finish line while I'm retired? And that's where all the uncertainty is. And a couple verses come to mind. The first is one that's probably familiar from Matthew 6. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so as I think through this verse, I just start to think, what am I actually worried about in retirement? Is it actually that I'm going to be alone, completely abandoned, without enough to buy my next meal or to have a place to live? I think that that does come up to mind, but is that really what is at stake for the vast majority of people? I think if you really play it out, if you are somebody who has been saving for retirement, you have social security, you have these various things set up, and you have your retirement ahead of you at this point, what's actually most likely to happen? Let's say in two weeks, a a catastrophic health injury or event happens of some kind, and suddenly your healthcare expenses are significantly greater in two weeks than they, than they are today, and you have no more salary or paycheck to rely on. You're relying on what you've saved and Social Security and any other income sources that you have set up for retirement. What's going to happen in that scenario? Well, first, you're probably going to make some living adjustments. So before we even get to not having a place to live or not having your next meal, you're probably gonna be less likely to take that vacation in two months, which, by the way, would probably not be a great idea after a major health event anyway. Uh, You're probably gonna simplify your budget and your living expenses to some degree. And like we already said, Many of those have already simplified themselves as your mortgage is getting towards being paid off, the kids are out of the house, your budget has already kind of simplified in many ways. 
And so let's say even then the expenses of whatever kind of event happened are still too great. What happens next? Well, for many people, what happens next is your family steps in or your church or your community in some way. And to be honest, that's how people have been supported beyond their working years for most of history. It's really only in the last five or six decades that the idea of saving up for retirement was a concept at all because it was just assumed that your family would take care of you or that your church or community would take care of you. And so what we're actually afraid of is not so much not having a place to live or a meal to eat. It's having to simplify our lifestyle because of unexpected events, or it's having to rely on others or on God to care for us. And that is what we're afraid of. And it makes sense that we're afraid of that because we live in one of the most individualistic societies, not only in the world, but in all of history. We desperately want to be in complete control of our own life and our own selves without having to be dependent on anybody else or on God. And that's why we cling so tightly to retirement. Now, do I think that we should completely abandon saving for retirement or making any kind of plans or any of that? Absolutely not. My wife and I are planning for retirement even now with several decades of career ahead of us. And we're trying to walk that line of making careful, wise decisions now and when we're retired to use the resources and the different types of accounts and vehicles to navigate retirement and support ourselves in that time. But we're also depending on God, just like we are now while we're working. And that line is what we're talking about here. I think that's the core of this whole conversation is where is that line between wanting to be wise in how we steward our money and to make sure that we have thought ahead for things that can be anticipated and wanting to have so much security and margin that we could never possibly in a thousand years have to rely on God or on another person to care for us in any way. And so, you know, we're actively trying to figure out that line now, and it's a, it's a moving target. It's not simple, but it is important to think about, and there is a line somewhere. The line is not infinite, and I don't think for us that every penny that we have in excess of our living expenses should go towards additional security and moving us farther away from ever having to rely on, on God or others. Yeah, that really reminds me of something I learned when I first started in this industry. My first boss told me that for a long time, people got a job and worked for their company, worked their way up and retired from that company. And that company put away savings for their employees and gave them a pension. And the pension plus Social Security often replaced their income to the point where they just kept on living at the same lifestyle for the rest of their life and had guaranteed income sources. So people's retirement planning process was actually simpler for for a long, long time. And it's a more recent thing that the burden has been shifted onto us as employees to save for ourselves and to build up that level of security. And so that presents more opportunities and options 
but it also forces us to think more critically about do I need to spend more or less or the same throughout retirement? And just to be clear, for a lot of people, what we're talking about here is determining how much it costs to live on in retirement and then a higher number of how much could you afford to live on and then whatever is in that margin or that excess, taking additional dollars out of your retirement savings and giving it away. And I think there's two schools of thought. A lot of people would say, okay, well, if I can afford it, why not? I can give away some money every year, even through retirement. I enjoy the process of giving, and it's doing a lot of good in the world, and I want to keep that up as long as I live. But there's another way to approach it of, well, if I save too much, why take any additional risk when I could just give it all away in my will to a charity or to my kids who I trust to steward that money well? And I think we should take a minute and talk about the difference between those two approaches. Yeah, I think taking that approach of leaving whatever is left at the end of your life to charities, to God's work in some context is is actually a pretty common approach and is noble in a lot of ways. You know, you're directing all of what you have spent your life and effort saving to go to work that needs to be done and, and worthy causes. So I do think that there is a lot of benefit in doing that relative to any number of other things you could do after you die. But I do think that it is worth pointing out, and this is something I've had to wrestle with myself, is the fact that it actually doesn't require faith to make that decision. Because in choosing to give primarily after you die is essentially saying, when there is no way I could possibly need anything else, then I leave all the rest to God. And so if that is your primary strategy, I think that's worth taking into consideration. And you could take a completely utilitarian approach in looking at it and saying, well, the only thing that matters is what good or what impact comes from that money when it's given. But as we've discussed in pretty much every episode up till now, there is an entire other side of it, which is that giving actually changes our hearts and impacts us in in a very deep, tangible way. And it invites us into God's story. It builds relationships with those that we give to. And, you know, there's a whole ecosystem built around giving. And when we give only when we're gone, then we completely miss out on that entire other half of the purpose of giving. Yeah. And as I've discussed in past episodes, that's why Steph and I chose to start giving above and beyond our tithe, even while we still had debt that we needed to pay off because we wanted to participate in the work that God's doing. And just like saving for retirement, the earlier, the better. So we know that we have a limited time to impact others around us. And we think the sooner we do it, the better. Right. I think you've brought up before the idea of compound impact where, you know, $100 given today is more significant than $100 given in 10 years because whatever work that that goes to and whatever impact that has will continue to build over time. So all this is to say that while it is a very noble thing to leave a significant or all of your wealth after you die to to charity and to kingdom-oriented work, at least take into consideration that there may be significant consequences and benefit to actually spreading that giving over 
the remainder of your life. Yeah, for our listeners who are thinking about retirement or in retirement, I would just challenge you to consider the question, what does your need for financial security say about your faith? So Keelan, if you were approaching retirement, how would you handle a finish line? So as my wife and I have have talked and discussed what a financial finish line looks like now for us, one of our goals is hopefully not to enter into retirement with an enormous excess beyond what our living expenses require at that time. You know, we, we're trying to carefully and thoughtfully estimate how much we realistically need in retirement so that we're not excessively oversaving now and foregoing that giving now in order to have even more excess retirement savings later. And so we do make conservative calculations and how much we we need to save. So hopefully there will be some margin that we have to take into account in retirement. And I think the way that we would handle that if we were coming up on retirement in the next few months or in the next year or so is the first thing we would do is to figure out what our living expenses will actually look like in retirement. I think they're going to look one way while we're working and still have a mortgage, still have kids. We're going to be putting, I think, four girls through college at the same time, the way it looks like right now. And so we're going to have a bunch of expenses potentially early on in retirement. But as those start to fall off, we want to reduce our monthly expenses and our our standard of living accordingly. And so one of the things we want to do as we get into retirement is to figure out what we actually need in, in that phase of life. And once we've determined that, we'll project out what we should realistically need to cover those expenses for the rest of the possible years we could be living. And let's say for whatever we've saved in retirement at the time that our living expenses will require about 70% of that. So we have a, you know, a 30% margin or excess within what we've saved beyond what our living expenses are. So I think the way that we would approach that excess is we would give an extra 30% away every year. So we would spend our, that's, that 70% we need for the year and then give another 30% away. And so we're not giving away all that excess right up front and then relying on a very tight margin for the rest of retirement. But we're also not saving it all up for the end of retirement. We're just giving it away progressively as we go through retirement. And one of the benefits to that strategy is if something were to happen in the second year of retirement, and we had suddenly increased health expenses or whatever, then immediately we could increase our budget by 30% because we are already giving that away each year. We can cut our giving if we really had to and immediately increase our monthly expenses by 30% because it's already built in like that. So that margin is always there, even though we're progressively giving it away as we go. And that's one of the benefits to not giving it as a lump sum in the very beginning of retirement. But it still allows us to continue to be a part of God's work and to experience the joy of actively taking part in the process of giving and being a part of stories and relationships as we go. So that's, I think, how we're planning on approaching things once we get to retirement age and looking towards that process. What about you? What do you think it'll look like for you and Steph? 
Yeah, coming out of college with my mindset and being in the financial industry, learning about different vehicles to save for retirement and invest, I had a goal of maximizing all of the tools available to me. So I started with a Roth IRA and I was putting in $5,500 a year, which was the max back in 2015. And I could project out what that was going to grow into. And I was really excited about getting started early in my career. And I knew that I could maintain that for decades. And then I could use the 401k and save way more. And then I could save in non-retirement accounts and plan to use that for retirement. And the numbers just got mind-bogglingly large when I thought about living on as little as possible, saving as much as possible so that I could retire as soon as possible and spend as much as I could possibly want. And it felt like it was all achievable. But then something happened. I read in Luke 12 about the rich fool. And it says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And that really struck straight to my heart because I realized I spent so much time imagining my dream retirement and it did not involve anybody but me and my family. And all of the things I wanted to have, the vacation properties, the toys, the whatever it might have looked like, I realized how selfish my mindset was and I felt ashamed. So I had to address that feeling and figure out how do I draw a line between what's a reasonable amount to save for retirement and really in the process of thinking about this episode, I've really been able to flush out what that might look like more realistically for me, having implemented a finish line in my 20s. And after a whole career with a finish line, why would I abandon that just because I'm retiring? So I think it will actually look somewhat similar to what you just described of understanding how much I have the capacity to spend annually without running out of money, understanding what I need to live on, and then giving away that margin, which will be my excess throughout retirement. So I don't know that at this point I can commit to giving away a ton of money the day I retire, and I don't know that that's advisable, but it is striking a balance between stripping retirement down to bare bones versus having way, way more than I could ever spend late in my life and having to decide what to do with it then. Yeah, I think for me and my wife, a life well lived would be ending our lives with as little as possible, knowing that we had given all of ourselves and all of our money over the course of our lives. And that, to me, would be a life well spent. And it's just a matter of wisely and and carefully thinking through the process all along the way towards getting there. I did say earlier that we would circle back. I know you've been doing some research and have become aware of donor-advised funds, and 
I think this would be a good chance for you to just to talk for a second about what is a donor-advised fund and why that might make sense for someone who has the capacity to give in retirement. Yeah, so at its core, a donor-advised fund is basically an account that you can open where anything that you put into that account, you can write off as if you gave it to charity, but you don't have to give it away right away. The only stipulation is you can't ever take that money back out and use it on yourself, or you can't write a check to a friend or something like that. It has to actually go to a legitimate charity. And so you're basically just taking the tax benefit up front and then giving that away at whatever time makes sense for you. And so you might be asking, like I did when I first heard about these types of accounts, why would I put cash into a donor-advised fund and then give it away if I could just give it away directly? And there's a couple situations where it might make sense to do that. In the context of retirement, one of the ways that you can use it is to liquidate investments or assets that you might have that you are going to owe tax on. So let's say you invested in a bunch of stocks over a long period of time and they've gained a lot in value. When you sell those stocks to try to use the cash value, you're going to have to pay a capital gains tax on whatever value has increased on those stocks. However, if you transfer those ownership of those stocks into your donor-advised fund, then when you cash out those stocks, you don't pay any tax on it because they're already in kind of a charitable vehicle. The same could be true if you own a rental property and you have paid off that rental property over many years. When you go to sell it, you'll pay a tax on the increase in value of that property over that time. But if you actually transfer the ownership of that property into your donor-advised fund, then you can sell the property at that time and you won't pay any tax on it. The only stipulation is you actually have to give all of those proceeds away. But if that's something that you're already planning on doing with an investment or a a property or some other kind of asset like that, donor-advised funds are useful to know about because you're basically able to give away the value of the asset and the value of whatever tax you would be paying when you sell it. So I just think that this is a good context to make known those types of accounts because not everybody knows about them and they can actually significantly increase the impact of your giving for those types of assets. Well, I think that's probably all the time we have for today. Before we finish up, I just wanted to share our manager minute for the day. You know, every week we share one quick idea for something you can give to right now with any money that you've set aside to give away. And today's manager minute is Dulas Partners. Dulas Partners serves as sort of a missions mutual fund, sending resources where they will get the greatest return on investment. They partner with established, successful church planting ministries that already have deep relationships with indigenous pastors around the world who are spreading the gospel in their region. 100% of the evangelical work, from leadership at the national level to sharing the gospel one-on-one, is done by nationals in their own countries. This approach eliminates many of the obstacles that Western missionaries around the world face in gaining trust, navigating customs, and learning the culture. Since inception, the Dulas Partners Board has covered all of their administrative costs, so all donated funds can go straight to the field. They're listed as one of the top 10 most effective missions organizations by ROI Ministry, which rigorously screens missions organizations for effectiveness. You can find more information on their website at dulospartners.org. That's D-O-U-L-O-S partners.org. So check them out.
And that's our minute for today. If you ever have a suggestion for what people can be giving in order to impact the people around them, their communities, or the world, we would love to hear about it. So send us a message. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. And if you want to find any references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 10. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. <laughs>